Welcome to this episode of Owning Your Legacy. Today, we're going to be talking about the myths of family business, a very, very fun topic. And I'm sharing this conversation with Brian Griffith. We learned early on that we have a lot of similarities and so much in common. Brian is the executive chairman of Griffith Foods. He's the fourth generation in his family to run the business. And he serves on the board of directors at Net Impact. I think you're going to truly enjoy this conversation and you will learn a lot about the myths of family business. Thanks for listening. Okay, welcome, Brian Griffith. I'm so happy to have you on our podcast called Owning Your Legacy. So we're going to be talking with Brian about the myths of family business. And I'm so excited about this conversation. Brian and I have a lot of similarities in our in our life and how we grew up in this food industry world with family business. So welcome, Brian. Thank you for joining us. And I would love to just kind of start out with your story. Well, first of all, it, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, I can't, you know, how much fun we have in our have previously in our conversations, as well as, uh, you know, texting each other about yes. ideas and um, meaningful Lots ones. Lots so. of similar values and culture, and I think um, a lot in common. So it's a pleasure to be with you today. So, yeah, so tell me a little bit about you, like kind of give us your background so for our listeners that, you know, want to know more about Brian Griffith. Yeah, you know, um, you know, we were talking about, you know, the family story. So I think that's a really good place to start. Um so, you know, just a little bit about Griffith and background. We were kind of not so far from where you actually are right now, Lorette. Oh, neat. Um, is where Griffith was founded, 1919 Stockyards of Chicago. And yeah. um, it was literally kind of Upton Sinclair's The Jungle. So this that seminal book that most of us have read excerpts a from. Great book. I love that book. book. Yeah, that, that kind of captures, unfortunately... Um, what was kind of the horrific working conditions and actually the state of the food industry. Right. In so we start, and Edlong started in 1914, so very similar beginnings on Huron yeah. Street, so down here as well. Um, so yeah, yeah. We, were, we were out of uh, South, you know, uh, 37th <laughs> and Ashland. Cool. So really right, it, right in the stockyards. And so my great-grandfather, uh, who was this... Uh, you know, great salesperson, um, he noticed that there was a significant issues really within, you know, the food industry itself mm -hmm. and really saw an opportunity um, with my grandfather who was getting a pharmacology degree at Northwestern wow. and um, had said, hey, you know what, I think this science thing and food, there's a need. And an opportunity here. Convinced my uh, grandfather, who was going to take over uh, a small chain of uh, pharmacies from a neighbor, um, in fact, to hey, let's you know, let's try this. And so that's when Griffith Laboratories was born, um, and and an opportunity for really to bring kind of food safety, quality, and consistency uh, mm -hmm. to a you know the industry that desperately needed it. Yes. And so that was kind of the um, that moment um, where the idea of food science um, really was kind of brought to the fore in terms of you know our beginnings, and and so with that um, you know there was a, a significant um, kind of growth period where we were figuring things out. 
um, and coming together around what were those needs within the industry and, and starting to address those. Um, those ideas of food safety, quality, and consistency have never gone out of style. They're right. still t- true today more than ever. Um, and again, that's when Griffith Laboratories being the name then, and now we, we transition to Griffith Foods, a, sto- a different story for later. Yes. Um, yeah, those are our beginnings. Um, for myself, I grew up as, a, as a, a, you know, the youngest of four children, 12-year spread between oldest to youngest. The youngest is always yeah. the power position, I would have to say. <laughs> uh, well, youngest of seven. <laughs> Yeah, well, youngest is seven for yourself, and uh, yep, definitely gives us ample opportunity to observe. Yes, it does. <laughs> and, what we want to so, do, what we don't want to do, exactly. Yeah, why some siblings make it really, really hard, and others <laughs> yes. like kind of, you know, things kind of seem to go better. Yeah. Um, so I have to say, I was a, a beneficiary of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably for two reasons. First, because of that opportunity to observe and understand and kind of um, and, and maybe listen more uh, than you would have been had I been in a different role or position. Who knows? Right. Um, and also, I think, you know, my parents probably parented a bit differently. Totally. As they may have done with you versus older siblings. Yeah. You had more within probably. Oh, they were so the- burnt out by the time I came along. It was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but yeah. I, I was a fairly easy, good kid. They were lucky with that. But yes. But I do well, think no, we I got think more really conversations. Was- like I would say being at the end of the line, older parents that definitely more connection than I think the rest of, in my family, there's six kids under seven years old. Five years later, I came along and my mom always said, you were the first one that I could really enjoy because it wasn't a mob scene, you know? So I think that is a, a gift. No, and, and I think uh, similarly, it was a five-year spread between my next closest sibling. And I think there was an opportunity around that, mm-hmm. that um, maybe from both sides, that I, I may have paid a little bit more attention um, to what they were. And they, they brought me along because um, I think we stopped doing family vacations. And that really was the kind of the attraction point um, for the company because I had a very clear vision from the age of six of being a veterinarian. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I had narrowed that down because I was up here in Wisconsin. I had um, spent a fair amount of time on, on large animal practice um, and, and small animal and had defined you know, large animal, you know, probably going down the path of equine specialist. At six. <laughs> And yeah, no, I, I was pretty. You, <laughs> you know, were saying like, something wow. about how you uh, you went on no, like I, Madison, Wisconsin. That is so funny, and, and downloaded I, textbooks. <laughs> yeah, no, well, it's interesting because I actually, you know, I had a plan where I wanted to go to University of Wisconsin instead of Illinois. I was going to change residency. You know, this was my plan. I was like kind of like a thirteen-year-old, <laughs> um, and and you know, I would pick up my, you know, look at the curriculum of classes that I would be taking as a pre-vet program. So taking a look at that, but I, it started shifting. I started traveling with my parents, in fact. Mm-hmm. And um, so instead of having family trips, because my, my siblings were, you know, out in the working world, right. they, um, they said, hey, you know, why don't you come on these, these business trips with us? Um, I think it was just kind of, you know, also a way to be together, but also knock off, you know, the travel schedule. <laughs> um, and, um, but they were super, you know, when, if I was in Australia, New Zealand, wow. um, you know, or wherever, I would be working with a vet for a couple of days at, our, at a horse track, a slaughterhouse, 
um, a pet food factory um, where they were you know, sampling food for cats. Yeah. You know, so, um, and then I would spend about three or four days on the business side. Mm-hmm. And um, that's where I first started getting exposed um, to Griffith in a different way, not around the kind of, you know, family dining room table. Right. But, but actually watching presentations, taking tours, te- seeing things of our facilities, um, and, and even interacting in some cases with customers. And uh, that, that was different. And right. that started drawing me in probably two dimensions. First was the kind of the international environment that, mm-hmm. that I found super interesting because of culture, of geography, of history, um, all the passions of my father in particular, um, and as well as um, what I was witnessing in the business. And that was about organizational culture mm-hmm. and, and organizational behavior. This idea that um, other than sports teams that I had been on, that you kind of organized yourself and, and worked um, to, to execute around strategy and, and a variety of different things on a day-to-day basis. And I found that picture into that different mm-hmm. um, in, in terms of especially abroad. Um, and that started me thinking down the path of, hey, you know what, I think I might want to you know, join this gig yeah. and, and do that. Um, I think- so I would probably stop there because you might have some really cool like early on stories of you know, kind of moments where things started kind of coming into your consciousness differently. Yeah, I think the similarity that we have, and I want you to touch on it, is like the growing up at, in cottage, at cottages. So my cottage was um, at Sister Lakes, Michigan, on a little lake called Dewey Lake. My grandma and grandpa built the house. And um, my siblings and I, we sent, spent the whole summers there, which I, it was like such a gift, you know, to be able to grow up on a lake my mom would spend, you know, stay there. My dad would be coming up on weekends. We had really good friends that were neighbors. And my dad's best friend, R.W. Nelson, who uh, owns Kemen Ingredients. Mm. So they had five kids. We had seven. Every night it was dinner at one house or the other. Skied all day long, every day. If I could only get up again, I feel like getting old is really not fun. Um, so, but that is really where I learned a lot about the business. And I, I love your story of you having a conversation with your dad. But I spent a lot of time on fishing boats with my dad and RW, his best friend. And they couldn't have been more opposite in beliefs and values in a way. I'm, it's kind of surprising that they were best friends. But RW would be like, oh, just give them a plaque, Gene. You know, that's all they need. And my dad was huge into profit sharing and sharing with the employees. And it's not funny. Our dad's names rhyme, Gene and Dean. <laughs> Yeah, similar, similar men, it sounds like. But yeah, I, um, my brother was heir apparent, so he was 10 years older than me. And when I was in about eighth grade, that's when he decided he didn't want to do this. He didn't want to move to Chicago. He really wanted to stay in California, and he became a teacher, which he loved and, and did that. So that's when I was like, I got this. I, I mean, I, I knew I wanted it before he even, so he just made the path a little easier. I didn't have to fight my brother for it. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to Purdue, um, and there was never like a guarantee. And I'm sure your mom and dad, or your dad particularly, was probably no guarantees for you either. We have to earn this, you know. And and I think that it's interesting. Back to the myths of our family businesses, that a lot of people think that we just stepped into this and it was handed to us. And uh, I know 
and you know, that couldn't be farther than the, from the truth. You know, that I think we have to work even harder because we are family. So talk about that a little bit, about how it is to be a, a family member within a family business. Sure. Well, there's two things. And there's, uh, there's a, a seminal kind of um, and, and very poignant story that I will tell shortly. But to, to address the, your question um, specifically around the kind of the path of entry and, and what that experience can be like, the... Um, when I did make that decision that I was interested in entering the business, um, because it was right, you know, the paths clearly were going to be different for university um, in terms of majors. But um, I really, I, I went to, to my dad and I said, you know, it was pretty short and sweet. I said, you know, I'm interested in joining the company, um, at which point his jaw dropped because of this like intense, focused passion of being a veterinarian. And he, um, and I said, you know, I will work outside the business for five years. Mm-hmm. Um, I will, you know, get an MBA and then I'll join. And uh, he said, that is great because we didn't have rules and, and a whole bunch of things that most families, especially, you know, kind of third and the fourth would have kind of a set of rules. And, but I, right. I, I'd heard enough stories about shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves and three generations. And, you know, um, and I had a desire to gain experience outside the right. business. And I also said in between, I said, I'll work every other year in the summers at Griffith and I will get my own internships and jobs in between. Oh, so okay. I didn't exclusively want to work at Griffith from an internship point of view um, and such. Um, I wanted to mix it up, and that's and, cool. and, and that's and my dad said that's great. So it kind of sounded and 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 I said okay, and he said yeah, and that was the end of the conversation. I walked into where he was working on that Saturday morning in our house, and um, and kind of and I was like and and that was relatively straightforward. Nice. You know, that's yeah. what I thought made sense. It's what we did um, and going forward. Now, of course, you know, so those first summer jobs were on the, on the floor. Cool. Pack, primarily in the packaging area, you know, bringing product, packing product off the mixers um, and, and working with our teams on, on the ground. And I, there, I, I'm laughing because there are some incredibly important people that yes. I worked for as, you know, packing product as our line operators. Yes. Um, and I think that's the only way to enter a family business is you got to start from the bottom and and yeah. and understand like virtually every department. I ended up, but not by design because my dad wasn't good at all at the design of of a career path development. This was all by just happenstance. But every two years, it seemed like I was in customer. I started you know food science, so I started as technical liaison. But I wanted R and D and salespeople to just get along. That was my dream. <laughs> And back, back in those days at Edlong, that was not the case. Salespeople weren't even allowed in the R&D building. It was like, it was so us and them. And I mean, that's, that's what I love is creating teams and back to sports. You know, I think, I, you know, I think that's where I find joy. Edlong's a vehicle to really create a culture and environment that that's kind of that whole legacy thing. You know, it's a place where people can shine. And we've talked a little bit about that, but yeah. Yeah, and so you're, you mentioned vehicle, and, and so this is the story um, 
Well, just take, you know, going back for, for working on the floor, you know, so Glenn, um, Joe, two of our top, uh, you know, operators were so incredibly fast. And they'd be like, Griffith, you know, you are so slow, you know, and I would, I would break from lunch or even like, you know, coffee break and then go back to the floor like five minutes earlier or even at lunch. To beat them. To clear clear the table, you know, and get everything packed off. And then as soon as they show up, like within 10 minutes, you know, they were burying me. (laughs) That is so funny. That is so funny. It's like undercover boss. (laughs) Oh, it was totally, but it was great. It was, you know what? But I I learned, you know, all those little simple things. Um, Back then, we didn't have many automated lines, um, or at least I wasn't on them. And and so it was a lot of the very more manual lines. Um, Learned a lot. And most importantly, generated an incredible respect. Yes. Um, for them, the choices that they made when, uh, you know, they started families earlier than maybe they had wished or thought they should have in yeah. retrospect, um, bright, motivated, mm-hmm. um, dedicated, and, and people, loyal, dedicated people. I learned a lot from in our town halls. I'll call out Glenn or Joe and go, mm-hmm. you know, I remember when I was working for you yes. on, you know, line three. And um, thank you. And so that that is. And, and when so my I, kids, uh, when my kids, a few of my kids have interned at Ed Long, and twenty um, five year old and my thirty year old, and and that's where they go is production, and they love it. They love it, and I love it hearing from my guys. You know how my kids are doing, and they're like they're fast, and they're you know they're doing great, and now they're doing different jobs, and they're always checking on how's Garrett doing, how's Stuart doing, and Garrett loved it. I mean, he absolutely loved it. He. he he really learned that he doesn't want to sit behind a desk. He's like, I liked the movement. He's got an econ major, but it, it's, yeah, he, it was a good experience for them. No doubt. And, and so I think all those, and so Progressive Dan and I ended up working in, um, <clears throat> we ended up launching a quality program. So I really got kind of steeped in kind of quality management practices and a variety mm-hmm. of things. So really good snapshots. Um, of, of experiences in the organization. But I'm going to go back, and, and this is to kind of highlight um, during those early days where I wasn't planning to come into the business, but I had this, this conversation with my father. <clears throat> and uh, we were on our dock um, in on the, you know, lake in Wisconsin. And um, it was a time I did cherish. You know, my dad, when he was... When, you know, we sat together or swam together, um, I, when he would come up and I would be waiting for him to arrive and we would go down to like right away and a, and a Friday evening, you know, and the first thing that he would do other, you know, was change and we would go swimming together. That's awesome. Um, and so this particular conversation, I was about 10 years old, probably about 1974. Mm-hmm. Um, it was an afternoon. It could have been a Saturday or Sunday, but we... It was, I could remember the light on the water, um, the quality of that afternoon light. Um, It was a warm, breezy day. And we were sitting in these these, uh, lightweight kind of lawn chairs uh, and we were chatting about the company and, you know, how we were providing employment and good jobs. And as my dad said, hopefully an experience where people were learning and growing in a way. that when they looked back on their careers, it was meaningful and that they were better off working for us than maybe one of our competitors or someone else. 
Exactly. And but at the end of the conversation, you know, he said, Brian, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the company is a vehicle for greater good. I love that. That is beautiful. That's so true. It it rang true for me, even as a a you know grade school kid, I thought that's a cool idea. Mm-hmm. That's a powerful idea. Very powerful. The company is a vehicle for greater good. Now, for my father, in very many ways, and I mentioned his love of geography, history, um, and his overall kind of positive um, and optimistic view, he, um, the company very much the way he, at that point in his life, and maybe this is also something that was different from my siblings, um, he had figured out how he wanted to relate to the business and, and, and lead. And um, I think it started hitting, was the beginning of kind of a sweet spot for him, mm-hmm. of, of him being able to do that. And his, his view around a vehicle for greater good was very much of a kind of personal manifestation of being able to do what he loved. Yes. And, 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 to, and to extend that. Um, I think that's really but, interesting. I think, and I think an, another point I'd love to hear your thoughts on is both of our fathers larger than life. I mean, my dad was six, five, six, six was a huge presence and very similar, very kind, generous. It's all about the people. I remember his last day was um, before he passed away, and he was like, "We have such great people." I can't believe I got through that without getting teary-eyed. Almost, but I did it. <laughs> And it's, <laughs> thank you. We know how that goes. Um, but it's so true, and it's something that I hold dear. But for us, how did you make it your own legacy, you know? And, you know, respecting our fathers and respecting what they did, but then we have to make it our own. So talk a little bit about how you did that. Yeah. So, um, and that, that is in part, but the... There was one. So, you know, I joined the company. It was about, you know, understand what we do, do you know, execute strategy, deliver results. Right. Okay. And going back to a comment you said earlier, um, you know, delivering results mattered um, because it was visible. It was a metric um, not only of myself, but my teams. Yes. So starting in, in, you know, essentially 2001, um, I was running a different unit of Griffith um, and we had taken it through a trip where we were on Griffith thought I was doing well threw off a ton of cash and, and just seemed to be doing fine. Um, the business model was in jeopardy because I came from a channel that knew what the future looked like. Uh-huh. And that channel really wasn't a channel that Griffith operated in. So it was food service distribution. Gotcha. And so consolidation started happening in the nineties significantly. Craft food service was buying up, you know, the first and second largest distribution house in every city. Cisco was doing foldouts and, and rapidly what has been a, probably a 30 to 40 year consolidation still goes on to this day. But um, yeah. the, the future for that particular company did not look as bright and needed uh, you know, a transformation. And that was the first opportunity to actually have a PL and run a business and, um, and, and took it from strength to strength. Also, it was also the, the moment in time where um, Ed recruited TC Chatterjee, who now yes. almost had almost every subsequent job. Mm-hmm. Um, that I've ever had in the company, and now as our CEO, yeah, great um, guy, definitely so a good a good hire there. 
awesome partnership. But going back to teams being so important um, and in partnership within the business for family members and non-family members, um, because that path has been incredibly fruitful, rewarding, um, and and strategically important for the company. So you know that that when we talk about you know the performance piece is is that everyone is watching you. Yes. <laughs> and they're not only asking what you deliver, but how you deliver it. Yep. And and so, um, and there is no kind of more tangible action of kind of future leadership and ownership when people, and then in addition to that, our iconic parents, our fathers in this case, um, of which my father gives a lot of credit to my mom that he honored her as often as possible. That is so he would never be nice. That is awesome. Yeah, that he would never be where he was without her. Right. Um, and as she said, she's... That's another topic her. for a podcast that we're going to do is like Empower Partnerships. And it's really on those kind of partnerships because you need that support and you need a soft place to land and you need somebody that's your cheerleader and in your corner. Like it's just yeah, both ways, you know? So yeah. I think that's awesome that, that he would recognize... Her that probably made her feel. And I and I'm gonna recognize my wife who just passed by when the dogs right. are barking. Back for is is that Sue, you know, my life partner and, and wife is um, what I, I never would have been able to move abroad and live abroad twice. Right. Um, you know, went to Europe with you know a one year old child and a dog, came back with a different dog and two more children. Oh wow! Um, <laughs> after five years, and, and and never would have been able to have learned and experienced the things I did in as a what was a you know growing international company at the time uh, to be able to do that and then to live in Hong Kong um, twice cool. um, with our family and, and our children as they got older so that was an incredibly important um, aspect I always say our children are vastly more intelligent and and better looking because of her um, <laughs> and what so, a great way to grow up though I mean they've seen so much different. I, I didn't travel internationally until I think I was 36, my first trip to Europe. My my dad said, go to England, go fix that company, go fix that one. I'm like, okay. And I had, you know, three, three-year-old, I think, not even, but, um, but yeah, that opens your eyes, though, to see different countries. Without a doubt. The one other um, the aspect that, you know, I kind of wanted to, to bring on that, on that uh, performance piece is that, you know, as we went forward, the seminal moment in the in in my transition when we talked about this idea of a vehicle for greater good. Yes. And and when did it shift to the point of owning it differently? And that was a kind of spear in the chest moment, um, 2013 um, executive team meeting, and somebody was talking about sustainability reports as kind of being this pesky nuisance. Yes. And 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 our one of our leaders at that time who, and I, I just kind of stopped. I said, hey, wait a minute. I said, you know, the sustainability piece, we should not be just responding to surveys and, 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 not, and, and trying to figure out what to do. Um, we need to start organizing ourselves around this. And so I said, I got this. And so with that, there was a small team of global vice presidents that came together um, around how do we want to organize ourselves for a sustainable future. And I'd say this is the kind of the moment and the kind of the ultimate when we talk about family businesses yeah. and this idea of stewardship. Yes. 
that embracing sustainability is a form of proactive stewardship that is nothing I think epitomizes family businesses better. The long-term view, private ownership, family values. And, And so that was the moment we started organizing ourselves for impact. Using this idea that my father had planted very early on in me as the company as a vehicle for greater good. Business as a force for good is what we started organizing for. And I love that. I love that. And we had to discern what is material, what is important. And so fundamentally with that, you know, anybody who goes through a, a stakeholder analysis for sustainability, you are identifying the elements around what matters most. Mm-hmm. You know, simultaneous to this is, is very soon after that. And, and so materiality, what we identified as a, where we sit in the, in the food industry, is that we identified as sustainable agricultural systems. Yeah. Farmers. And farmers, where mm-hmm. our raw materials come from. Mm-hmm. We have hundreds of millions of dollars of individual raw materials and ingredients that we transform in our business as a product development company yes. into recipes. And then the other aspect, the fundamental aspect is around health and nutrition. What are those outcomes that we're gonna drive through you know, accessible, delicious nutrition? I love that. And that's what we design our recipes for, to drive better health outcomes. Mm-hmm. And so those two areas are fundamentally the biggest drivers of our materiality matrix that we have. and that fundamentally drives strategy. I think the other part about this is in terms of operationalizing this is that all business should be sustainable. Yeah. And the areas of materiality differ for different industries and for different companies. Mm-hmm. But we paired this up with our purpose. We did an exercise and we talk about, you know, our parents, my father was around 63 years of our kind of 97 years of existence at the time wow. we articulated our purpose. And articulating our purpose had two kind of fundamental. We used what Aristotle said is where your unique and authentic talents lay and the intersection of the needs of the world. Mm-hmm. Therein lies your vocation or calling. Your calling. I love that. That is so beautiful. That is so perfect. Yeah. Know what you're good at. Know what you love. Figure out your purpose. And, and there's your calling. It's that simple. Yeah. And, and so ideally, so we use that and, and, and there's an aspect about personal purpose, but for organizational and company purpose, we use that idea. And so in, in we started asking ourselves, we actually had about, you know, about 400 people participate, eight different languages around the world. What are those words and ideas that capture what Griffith is? Yeah. And so it was, we blend care and creativity those unique and and, uh, authentic aspects of us. So we blend care and creativity to nourish the world. I think that is just beautiful. And it's so similar. We were chatting about this last night on texting, and and I was saying ours is um, we enrich the lives of those we touch. And I love that because it can be external people, internal people, and it's all about feeding the world. I think we are so lucky Mm -hmm. to be in the food industry we really do feed the world. And yeah. 
It's kind of an and important they all play a role in that. And mm-hmm. we're part of an ecosystem that together we can make a difference. Exactly. You know, from, so that, that idea around purpose. So we have a framework where or why we exist is we blend care and creativity to nourish the world. Mm-hmm. We have our six core values um, as who we are and what we believe, mm-hmm. which includes our, our its sustainability platform. People, planet, performance, triple bottom line. Yes. And all of our, it's not an initiative. All our initiatives live in one of those three buckets. Mm-hmm. And so it's And that gives focus, you know, it really, and it's yeah. so important to have focus because it's really easy, as I said, to go squirrel yes. and I <laughs> look the other way. So yes, we have to definitely work on making sure the intersections are happening. Yeah, and it's through that why, it's through that lens of sustainability that drives our strategy mm-hmm. of where to play and how to win. Exactly. And so if you, these are all, they need to hang together and be, it's a holistic perspective of delivering on purpose mm-hmm. through the lens of sustainability and through the how of executing strategy. That's really cool. And that is how we really, that was that shift of organizing ourselves for impact. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and being really focused, as you just mentioned, about how do we show up and how do we deliver that. Exactly. Because it is all in the how. You know. It is. It's well, Brian, doing. this has been awesome. I so I know I, I'm like, we could probably talk for hours and we might have to do this again. But <laughs> and Well, I know there's future conversations in our, you know, in our futures. Definitely. And, um, so thanks so, so much for the opportunity to share and, and chat. Yeah, it was more. great. It was great. I'll talk to you soon. Have a good day. Take care. Bye. See ya. Bye.